All right, let's take a moment and again we'll offer our time to the Lord. Father, thank you that we can come to you boldly in prayer. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, discuss and seek out and study more what your word has to say on prayer. Father, I'm thankful for the general reminders and the the different aspects of prayer that we're looking at. Uh, Father, would you use this study in my own heart and life to draw me closer to you, uh, to expose areas of my own heart where I'm not, uh, I I haven't been trusting you or or even Lord, where I, I just haven't been talking to you about these things. Would you do that same thing for all of your children here uh, this morning and those that may listen in the future? Thank you for these things. We pray your blessing upon this time in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. Well, as we start this week, um, I told you we would pick up with those few reflection questions last week, and I kind of threw it out to you. So I I do want to, to remain true to what I promised on that. But there was a quote that I, I wanted to pull out from last chapter from Pastor Sadler as he wrote in this. And uh, he is quoting William Barclay. And he says, uh, talking about prayer, and remember last week was uh, about the prayer power that we have, the power that we have through Christ available to us in prayer and what we're after. When we pray, remember these three things. Number one, the love of God that wants the best for us. Number two, the wisdom of God that knows uh, what is best for us. And then finally, number three, the power of God that can accomplish it. Basically, know who you're talking to. You're talking to God. That's who this is. This principle is going to come out again in our study today because uh, when we discuss prayer, it's all about who are we talking to and what do we believe about him. And that's going to affect everything we believe about prayer and what we're willing to pray about and what we're willing to talk to to God about. So then when we get into the the questions that we had for us, uh, at the bottom of last week's handout, so if you have lesson two, the handout there under the reflect, um, I encouraged us to spend a little time thinking about 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 8. So if you want to just glance in your Bibles there, we'll just take a look at this. Remember, if you recall with me, we talked about, you know, the ways that Paul was just failing for words. And when he couldn't come up with enough words, he kept throwing more words at it to try to describe the immense, uh, inexhaustible power of Christ that we have available to us in prayer. And so 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, which we've already looked at this, but we just looked at one specific portion of the verse. Would somebody read verse 8 of 1 Timothy 2? I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubt. All right, without wrath and without doubting. And what I just wanted to, to draw upon and, and give us a little space and time to reflect on it. You know, um, what, what do we think? The question here, how does praying without doubting 
relate to God's power? What's the connection? Or is there a connection? Where where does doubt often come in when we pray? Because I, I think it's interesting that Paul includes this in here. You know, pray without doubting. <laughs> because I think the, the, the temptation, the human tendency, is that we do doubt. That we can falter or, uh, you know, not so much, you know, completely forsake in that sense of doubting, but it, it's more of a, you know, our, our eyes can start to slide downward, you know, and they just need to be re-elevated back to, to God. That's because he's able. Because he's able, right? The doubt usually kind of comes in of like, you know, this is, this is what I'm praying for, but can God really do it? Or, or will God, you know, really do it? And, um, and this, is the, this is the thing that... Um, and this is where our knowledge sometimes gets us in trouble because we understand, you know, some of those those prayer promises of, you know, at, whatever you ask and it will be given to you. You know, we're like, well, we know that's not, you know, um, an, an accurate promise given to us under God's dispensing of grace for us. And so we're like, well, I know that if God doesn't work that way. So we, we almost get a little hands off in practicality, you know. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, so then we're like, well, you know, maybe I should just, you know, maybe I'll, I'll pray for the, the spiritual aspect of it. God's not necessarily going to change the physical circumstances of it, but they'll certainly change their heart through it. And, you know, there's, there's kind of these, these battles that I've been through in my own walk with the Lord. But the whole idea of prayer, and this comes out in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. You know, the whole thing of prayer is, is fellowship, communion with God. And, you know, when we're resting and talking to him and we have that wonderful, marvelous promise and principle that when we give it to the Lord, he, he takes what we offer to him in prayer, what we give to him in our communion with him. And he gives us his peace in return. You know, that peace alone is reward and answer enough a lot of times for the the circumstance you know that we're in um i think the the doubting that comes in for me at times is you know like i'm doubting like i'm just not ready to give it up lord and give it over to you so that as i give it you give me your peace in return you know it, it and it's still a reflection it's the connection that cynthia pointed out you know, doubting comes in when we fail to accept and trust and rest in the power that he has and that he, he wants to work, you know. Um, and we know that he does work in the physical circumstances, and there are many circumstances that, that he can and does change. And so we go to him in prayer. Hmm. Um, the next question there, connect Philippians 2.13 to the prayer power that God gives his children. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. A favorite verse of mine. I, I dare say this is in the life verse category. 
category for me personally. Um, uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Um, it's God's working in and through us. And that's, um, you know, that's the power that we're talking about. This, this God who is all powerful, we, you know, we, we visually represented the power and what Paul was really praying for. And it's that power that God is working out in and through us. I mean, it's amazing. It, it boggles the brain just to think about it. Um, uh, in terms of God's power and just as who he is. And then when you bring it down to a personal level of, well, now he's going to do that. He's going to unleash that in my own life. Another aneurysm, you know, these things just like kind of like, you know, pop out concurrently with that. You know, we were, we're, we're in Philippians here and I already alluded to, you know, we go to God, we give it to him. And what does he give us in, in return? He gives us peace. Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, well, we'll read 6 and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Again, these are those all-encompassing, expansive, big bucket words that we were talking about last week. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus and we were talking you know last week about the power of God and it's all surpassing all encompassing ability and here in the same vein uh, this other attribute or this other ability of God of his peace, his peace alone passes all understanding. So if, if God's just his peace flies off the Richter scale, how much more so does God himself and that power that we have available to us? It's so important for us to, to make certain that we go through seasons of life. And this is really where it connects in. Uh, into our lives where we reflect on just the magnitude and the immensity and the power of God because that truly changes our perspective and that changes our attitude and it changes our disposition in a lot of senses. I've really enjoyed looking at God's power. And this week we transition into uh, just full-on praise of God through prayer I've needed the encouragement to spend some time and to just sit in that for a while because it's helped elevate my perspective through just day-to-day -day living and day-to-day life and, and, and pressures with all of that. Anyone have any reflective thoughts on uh, those ideas and, you know, that it when we reflect on God's power, it, it helps us. That removes doubt because it's it's our God. That's who he is. That's what he wants to do. It's his desire to bless and give us all things richly to enjoy. All right. Well, with that, uh, we move to our next lesson.
And so you'll see, I think I put small packets out with each table. There's a handout for lesson three, which we'll be looking at prayer praise now. So with prayer praise. And so uh, one of the things, and, and this is brought out in Paul's prayer for us in Ephesians chapter three, uh, when we recognize God's power, we're often moved to go right into, in, in, to praise him because of who he is and, and what he's done. Um, but there's a, a temptation that many of us fall prey to, and, and I, I personally do. Our first question, what temptation many believers fall prey to in their personal lives? Um, I'm going to allude a little further. There's a movie called what about Bob? Have you ever seen it? All right. Kind of funny. I, I, I can't endorse everything in that movie. But this guy is not a stable individual. All right. He's got some, he's got some issues. Uh, and he's, he is basically a little child trapped in an adult's body in terms of what this guy understands and how he behaves. And he's almost having this meltdown in this one scene and uh, in that, he's talking to the doctor and he's going, uh, gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need, when this doctor isn't able to, to give him the time and attention that he needs. And do you know what I look like when I pray sometimes? I look like Bob Wiley, right? Okay. The temptation that we can all easily fall into is that it, we hold off on praying we hold off on really seeking that fellowship and unity to when we need something. Can anybody identify with that? You know, it's, you know, we're keenly aware of our need for the Lord when we're in need, when we're experiencing and we've come up short in some sort of area. Uh, it's, it's kind of that, that idea of peaks and valleys in life, you know, on the peak or the mountaintop experience it's wonderful and it's enjoyable. We've reached the, the zenith, the summit of the arduous climb we had to get there. And it's so easy to, to just fail to see the Lord in those things. So then we start working our way down the mountain into the valleys and we don't have the same perspective when we're down in those dips, when we're down in those, those valleys. And we're keenly aware of our own insufficiency and we know what we need. We need strength. We need perspective. We need insight, you know, in those. And then we're uh, called upon, oh, yeah, I really need the Lord. Lord, help me. Um, that's just human nature. If reading the Old Testament offers you nothing else, it's a picture of the human heart that does this very thing. When things are doing good, we don't need the Lord. As soon as things are bad, who do we turn to and who do we ask for help? God, I need, I need, give me, give me, give me, give me. All right. So th that's the temptation that is, is uh, there for all of us. But Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll look at last week's verse and then we'll add in this week's verse. So we'll do verse 20 and 21. It connects... What we studied last week to the perspective change that it should give us. 
Corey, do you mind reading verse 20 and then Andy for 21? To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. So we answer our second question. How does Ephesians 3.21 encourage us down a different path? Well, what, is, what does Paul encourage us to, or what is, where does he immediately go after he gets done talking about God's power? Verse 21, it says, to him be glory in the church. Paul, Paul moves, we, we've already talked about Paul's in a little doxology. Doxology in and of itself is a moment of praise. But uh, we, we move, uh, you know, when we recognize what God has done, we're moved to praise him and we uh, reflect glory back to him. We magnify him. Uh, just by way of example, I've offered a few other passages here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 it's a, it's a similar uh, doxology where Paul, overwhelmed by what he's teaching, overwhelmed by the reality of who God is and what he's afforded us, breaks out into a, a prayer of praise. <clears throat> Look at verse 17. And Amanda, do you mind reading that? 1 Timothy 1.17. Sure. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's good. That that'll preach. That'll sing too. <laughs> that'll pray. All right. Uh, with that, and then Psalm one forty five. It gets really challenging trying to cut down our references to the psalm here because there's so many we could look at. But I've, I've tried not to overwhelm us with, with some references to the psalms. 145, 1 through 3. Do you mind reading verse 1, Cynthia? And then I'll finish that passage. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. I think it's kind of fun. It's, it's you know, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, he's just, Paul breaks into this prayer because he just got done teaching about something else that was unsearchable. Right, he teaches that uh, the the message of salvation and God's plans for today were unsearchable until God gave them to him, and then he's moved uh, on that basis to get on his knees and he prays this prays this magnificent prayer of of wanting the heart of every child of God to go so deeply into fellowship and communion with the Lord. And in that context, he breaks out into this, this uh, praise fest, into this doxology and glory to God. And I love 
that the same thing here, the greatness of God, and even that the immensity of God in, in, in this aspect, something else being unsearchable in this context, his greatness, all right? Uh, and, and praise is the response to a God who is like that. Um, so giving glory and praise should be a frequent part of our life. So looking at this in Ephesians chapter 3, there's two concepts, 1 in 20, 1 in 21, two concepts that are linked together often in the context of prayer. Two kind of thematic words. I bet you we know the first one because it's what the whole lesson was about last week. We talked last week about uh, prayer power. Okay? So the first concept that's, that's here is power. And then in verse 21, Paul says, To him be glory in the church. There's this linkage that when you start to see it, you'll see, oh, okay, I've seen that before. Oh, here it is again. There's a link between power and glory. Uh, because glory is ascribed where there is power. Okay, uh, When God is involved where there is power, there is glory. That's just who God is. That's just how he designed it to work. All right. So uh, the two concepts again are power and glory. Then let's just trace it a little bit further in scripture. We already see it there in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, right? Paul's talking about there's power. And then he moved into the second part and he equated. And he said the other thing that balances this idea out as we reflect glory back to him. While we're in Ephesians, go to Paul's other prayer. I know we've referenced it before. But Ephesians chapter 1, this isn't written on the screen, and I apologize. But just looking at it again, uh, I, I wanted to, to, to put it in here. Um, there's a whole, Paul has a whole lot to say about glory and power, and they're, they're intertwined in this response. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, the context, he's... He is praying and he's, he's ceasing not to, to give thanks and to mention uh, the Ephesian saints in his prayers. Verse 17, Ephesians 1, 17. I'm just going to kind of touch base on a, on a couple points here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Kind of like a, a tapestry where things are kind of woven. These verses just keep going back and forth. Um, and not only is that power, it's towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. All right, again, his power um, uh, through their far above all principality and power and might, dominion and everything that is named uh, and also to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. He fills all in all. So a little connection between the two. Go with me to Philippians. I kind of didn't write them in chronological order. So we'll go in chronological order. Moving forward to Philippians. 
just a couple scripture passages that align these ideas. That they're, they're sprinkled in together. Let's read verses 9 through 11. Do you mind reading that, Tom? Sure. Philippians 1 9. Mm-hmm. 1 9 through 11. Right? Yes. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Thank you. So we, we clearly see Paul saying like all of this, and this is to the glory and praise of God alone. Uh, well, there's no power. I didn't read any power in there, did you? But if you're reading and actually looking at what Paul is saying, uh, you know, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. All right, where's the fruits of righteousness? Where's that come from? That's God's Holy Spirit himself, correct? God's Spirit yielding and producing that fruit in us. We know that any and all power that we have in this life is enacted and enabled through the very Spirit of God. Romans 8 gets into that full territory of what the Spirit of God is working in the power available through him. So there we see it. Uh, But then also we see it furthermore in the context of prayer. Go back to Philippians uh, chapter 4. Paul was talking about prayer. We looked at that earlier about not being anxious, and then he he gives us his peace. And then there's a few more promises that are beautiful to us sprinkled in there. Look at verse 13. Do you mind reading that, Corey? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that power? Yeah, that's power. That's unlimited power right there. I can do all things through that very power that we, that Paul expanded without, you know, with word after word after word last week. That's the power that's working. Then go to verses 19 and 20. Do you mind reading that, Pastor Kirk? And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, he'll supply all of our need according to the riches of his glory. So just looking around, when you start to look for God's power, you see his glory closely attached to it as well. Um, And there's great encouragement. I'd close uh, this little section. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And interesting enough, it's again a similar context of Paul talking about, guys, this is what God's doing and this is unique. He, he hasn't explained this to anybody until he gave it to me to give to you, this, this whole mystery, that unsearchable aspect. Um, and we get into verse 27. And uh, would you read 27 through 29, Amanda, please, of Colossians 1? To them God willed to make known that, to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery 
which I screamed. And in you with the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, <clears throat> striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. All right. The end result, all this stuff, this very thing that Paul is about, it is all about Jesus Christ. And, and what's the effect of that? Christ being formed in us, it's the very hope of glory. And he talks about the glory of this, this mystery. And then he attaches right alongside it in verse 29. I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. The, the power that's there and the glory that's at stake, the glory of Christ being formed in us. So it's just a, a connection that I see linked for us that as you know as we think of God's power, we are moved to reflect that, magnify and make him bigger and, and uh, give him the glory that is due him. Uh, and that's often expressed as, as praise. And I'll tell you, if you sit, in that space for a little while, the, the kind of taking in his power and reflecting him and praising and, and giving the glory that is due him, that whole without doubting kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? You know, you just, you know, it's get your, get your eyes off yourself for two seconds and you'll see he's got this. If you just look at him, for a couple minutes, you'll figure out you're okay because he's got this. <clears throat> if you have a book, you can grab it here and just glance to page 19. I want to read this. I, this is actually, I misspoke last week. I, I said last week's lesson was the shortest one. It's actually this one, I think, or it's really close. Um, and the next one, it, it gets into a, a little bit more involved. So we, we've just added some other things. We've, we're just using this as a, as, a, as a jumping point. But Kevin does something really interesting here, and it, and it just it shows um, in, in how he writes here. That last paragraph, it's kind of partial. We'll go into page 20. I'm going to read that out loud, the last paragraph, beginning with, We are known. We are known, loved, and prized. By the great I am, by the God of all creation, we matter greatly to him. God knows everything about everything and everyone. He knows every man, woman, and child who has ever lived and ever will live. God knows you and I perfectly. He runs the entire universe, and by him all things consist and are held together, and at the same time, he is also deeply interested and involved and cares about all aspects of our lives. God knows everything about the human experience. He knows all the minute details of your experience. And he knows why everything happens. He sees the little picture that you see of the moments and details of your life. But he also sees the big picture of your life and how he is creating something beautiful in his time. 
and working all things together for good. Man, what do we want to sing right now? As is beautiful. Yeah, praise the Lord. And so after reading something like that, and there's more paragraphs that are just just as good. I just kind of condensed it down and chose one of them. There's a principle that I see Pastor Sather kind of living out, you know, kind of in, in his idea of prayer. Anything coming to mind? Anybody have have thoughts? There's there's something that he's doing when he just reminds us like all of this this wonderful good stuff. There's a principle of play that I think is very encouraging and worthy for us to be reminded of. Yeah, it's important, right? Well, and God being omniscient, when we refer to God as being omniscient, we're we're talking about who he is, right? His characteristics. There's something profoundly important. And and this is true of any doctrine, any teaching, any aspect of theology has to, to pass along the filter in, in light of just the character of God, who he is. What we believe about who God is is going to impact everything we believe about any doctrine, but particularly about prayer. It's really going to show up. So if, if, if we don't have a high view of God as scripture teaches, but if we don't have that high view that God knows everything, you know, it's like, well, why bother? Why, why am I giving that to him? If, if, what can he do with it? You know, sort of thing. And I will tell you that the thinking, and it is purely thinking, I'll actually attach unbelief along to it. The thinking and unbelief of mankind that tries to, you know, twist and, and, de-elevate God and who he is and his glory, his omniscience, all of these things. You know, it, it's the, the, you know, man trying to do mental gymnastics to comprehend what scripture time and time again tells us is beyond our comprehension. But that's when we get down the rabbit holes and the, uh, the misguided paths where, well, I can't pray for everything. I can only pray about certain things. Or God doesn't care about X, Y, or Z. You know, it's so important to, to really have that fundamental foundational aspect and that core bedrock of who is God and what is he like. We, we pass all doctrine through the filter of, of God's character, of who he is. Any thoughts, questions, need me to clarify something on that? All right. Let's go to Ephesians. Sorry, Ephesians. How about another book that begins with E? Exodus. <laughs> Exodus chapter 6. You can see that this whole idea of, of praise it's just an extension of, of what we talked about last week. Not a ton of new information, but we we see it evidently everywhere. 
And this principle about, you know, what we believe about God has everything to do with our response to God, including our response of praise and even our response of prayer and where we're willing to go and trust the Lord and talk to him and ultimately even obey the Lord. What we believe about God is, is really going to come out. And my family, um, we're going through the book of Exodus and our family worship time together. And a couple of weeks ago, this stood out to me. I've gone back to it multiple times because it really impacted me. There is just like a nugget of a verse in there that uh, when we get there, you'll see it convicted me because it's like, man, even though it was Israel that did it, I'm looking and thinking, is that, when's that me? That's me sometimes, maybe a little all too often. That's me. So in the context here, what's happening, we know Moses is preparing to go redeem the people, be God's instrument uh, to take the nation of Israel out of bondage and be delivered from the hard hand of Pharaoh. Thus far, it's not going well. Pharaoh has not been amicable to the idea. And in fact, all that has happened is he's become a bit more hardened and he imposed more stringent uh, workloads upon the nation of Israel. So Israel, where once perhaps filled with hope of like, hey, this is exciting. Moses is going to deliver us. Nope. Things have only gotten darker. And so there's this complaining back and forth of Israel against Moses. And Moses is even going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, they don't even, they won't trust me. And this is God's response. I love that he gives this. This is beautiful. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9. Um, let's each take a verse, and I think, Cynthia, you're next. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of which the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they are strangers. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. With great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. All right. What really stood out to me in this passage is that verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. Well, why? Why didn't they pay attention? Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. 
it's easy for us to, you know, kind of in a circumstance, um, poo-poo the disbelief of Israel here. Oh, well, it's okay. It only makes sense that they did not want to trust the Lord because they were in such anguish in, in bondage to that. And that's true. When Think of how many here in your mind, mind's eye have you experienced anguish before? Mm, probably. Cruel bondage. Okay, probably not to the extent that the nation of Israel did. But I can talk about bondage of, of mind, heart, and belief, the bond, the cruel bondage of sin in my life. Oh, I've been bound before. Okay. And just go in your mind's eye to that place, you know. And here Moses is speaking to them, and these people cannot see the forest for the trees that is right in front of them. Because what message is, is Moses giving them that is actually the antidote to their anguish of spirit and the cruel bondage, you know? It's the very thing of God with his great and mighty arm is going to take you out of that bondage. He's going to deliver you and he's going to stay true to every single promise he, he made to you and to your forefathers, to the patriarchs of your nation, all right? He is going to do that. And not only that, what is so peculiar about this passage is not just the promise of God said he's going to do this. What stands out here is that this is all about God revealing himself in a personal way to his children. Did you catch that? Uh, look with me in verse 2. And God spoke to Moses. He said, I am the Lord. Just before, uh, you know, just a couple of chapters before, Moses was out tending to the sheep, right? And he sees this tree that is on fire, but it's it's just staying there. It's not being consumed. And he goes and he's on ho uh, holy ground before the Lord. And that's where God reveals himself uh, in a new personal way with a new name. And that's where we get the idea, I am that I am. All right, from that point forward, when we see that name of God capitalized in all caps, that's that personal, um, you know, uh, the Germanized version, we, we say Jehovah. Others will say Yahweh. It's, it's truly just a Y-H-W-H, all right, where we get the, the Yahweh. Volumes have been written about, about this very idea. But this is where that was given to Moses and, and things get personal for the nation of Israel as God reveals himself in this way. He's not just God the mighty, all right? He is, he is I am that I am. I exist as everything and all that unique. And so the, the nation of Israel is murmuring against Moses and the process that God's taking them through to be delivered and God's answer to Moses in this area is, is remember, I am the Lord. I am that I am. That whole phrase, I am the Lord, is in there one, two, three, and easy four or five times just right in that passage. I am the Lord. I am everything that you need me to be. 
to me, that's beautiful because we're, we're in the law and God's dealing nationally, but you know, we know God deals with us individually and there's just such a picture of the heart of God. You know, I am who you need me to be. Yes, you may have anguish of, of soul and you might be in the cruel bondage of sin in your life, but if and when you turn to me, I am all that you need. Um, what nation of Israel failed here is to just recognize God for who he is. And isn't that what we've been talking about? We're talking about the power of prayer, uh, prayer power and prayer praise. That's just simply who God is. And it's taking time to, to, to just even focus our mind's attention to who God is. And that was a missed opportunity by the nation of Israel to see who God is. And his answer to their anguish is, I got everything that you need. And what's interesting, because it's, it's also, do you think the nation of Israel was praying through this period, through this, this season of life? I would venture to say that they were praying, Lord, deliver us. Get rid of these nasty Egyptians. Get, get rid of them. Save us from our oppression. Look at verse 5. He says, And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. What's interesting, there's a lot of I statements through here. I am the Lord. That's a very strong statement. That's the very God's personal uh, definition of his name. And then there's a lot of statements where I did this, I will do this, I will do this. But this expression where he says, I have also heard the groaning, there's an emphasis on the fact that God himself personally, he's like, I am listening. All right, there's there's some expression. So that, that passage stands alone and I, I I just see a great correlation, you know, to that of we're talking about prayer and getting lost in our circumstances. God's like, hey, I see your circumstances. I'm listening and I got you. I got you. Um, that's why I've gone back to this passage time and time again these, these past couple of weeks because I, I just think it's, it's beautiful that God is offering. When I am in distress, I easily miss out on who God is and what he's doing. I effectively forfeit the blessing of praise because my perspective is limited to my immediate painful circumstances. I am encouraged to take a little time and perspective to just praise, give him the glory. Any thoughts, comments, additions, confessions? No. <laughs> All right. Father, thank you for your graciousness. This really, when, I, when we rest in that, that passage there where you're revealing yourself to the nation of Israel and you just want them to see you and to trust you and believe you for who you are, and what, what you've promised to do for them, and yet they they missed it. They missed the boat. Uh, they missed out on an opportunity to trust you because of the pain that they were in. 
And Lord, it's just, you know me. It, it's all too much a, a reflection of my, myself. Lord, uh, when I go through seasons of struggle, and, and I pray this for each of my brothers and sisters here this morning, Father, would you uh, protect us from such such a response to that, Lord? Help us to just, in those moments, take a moment and seek you. Seek your perspective. Seek out who you are and what you're really doing. And Father, uh, keep us from such a hardened response of choosing to, to remain in our pain, but allow us the, the glory and the beauty of of victory through faith, through trusting you in who you are and what you're doing in those circumstances. Thank you for being a good God. You are worthy to be praised. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.